Welcome back to the Zero Weakness Podcast, where we talk about how to be a better lifter, how to be a better coach, and everything in between. Make sure you subscribe and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Zero Weakness Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Establishment Coffee Co. Go to establishmentcoffee.com.au, use the code 025 and get 25% off your order and free shipping. Damn. All right. Today, we have a special guest. Oh, I'm supposed to introduce myself. <laughs> El Presidente. I the, I the El host. Presidente himself, <laughs> King of Zero Southside, Daniel Carpenter has joined as, us. As the president, he's not used to speaking for himself. Yes. Well, no, I just assume yes. my the mistake. host would introduce my the mistake. guest. The no, guests no. don't have to introduce themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Thanks for joining us today, gracing us with your presence. It's lovely to be Presidente. here. Um, did you see the convoy he came down with? The little APL flags hanging yeah. off the front of the limo. Oh, wow. The police escort. You yeah, believe he's, it. he's acting so different now, eh? When I walked in, he didn't even say hi. He just walked past me. <laughs> he goes, do you want an autograph? Yes. <laughs> Let me kiss your baby. <laughs> yes. Uh, on that campaign. <laughs> campaign that he's already won. Yeah. <laughs> I just got to make sure I don't get voted out Damn. by myself. <laughs> Damn. All right, hit it. What Hit are we it. doing? Training. Oh, yes. Training. How's our training going? Uh, J- Jimmy. You want me to start? Yeah, I had a, had a bit of a spicy back there for a couple of weeks. Ouch. Yeah, still a little bit spicy, but uh, the marathon continues. I uh, started my block this week. I've only squatted so far. My back's still spicy, but it's all good. It's not too bad. Um, you crushed the squats, though. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I was going to say, those squats are it's heavy. You're getting stronger. Thanks, brother. A little too strong. That's the goal. That's the goal. He's catching you. <laughs> too much to my liking. Making me a little nervous. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like this. <laughs> nah, it's, it's, but at the end of the day, boys, like uh, the, uh, the weight on the bar is just an arbitrary measure of resistance. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. You know, I don't actually care what weight's on the bar. Yeah, I'm right. just enjoying the process, lifting with my friends in a great environment. That's all I'm here for, man. So you Next week, squat 120 then. No. <laughs> body, body doesn't recognize numbers, just relative training intensity. Yes. Just, yes. just St- stimulus. Stimulus. That's stimulus. the one. That's the one. CJ, comp dog. Um, yes, I am in my last week of peaking. I will be competing at the GC Novice Bash. Are you aware of what James's current squat max is? Mm, yes, 260, isn't it? 230. I've only scored a 235. So are you aware that you're about to crush that? <laughs> <laughs> and take the take the 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 current strongest Filipino squatter in the gym. Okay, title. So yeah, specifically squatter. <laughs> He's coming for my throne, baby. He's still got my total by a long shot. Shh, <laughs> <'cause> it- <laughs> okay. CJ, talk your shit. You're not meant to be humble right now. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, my identity's not tied to the number on the bar. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> I'm in the middle of peaking. Uh, well, at the end of my peak. Um, I just did opener in seconds on my squat and hit a PB of 235, which is exciting. Uh, at the time of filming this, I'll be um, doing my bench today. And then, yeah, deadlift Fridays, and that'll be the last heavy sesh before the comp. What are the goals for the comp? Uh, um, I'd like to squat 240, 245, a bench... Um, at what? least 105. 142.5. <laughs> it's good to see undershooting everything, brother. Oh, did I say 142? No. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm saying you should bench 142.5. <laughs> oh, <laughs> 141? <laughs> um, 
And then deadlifts, uh, I'd really like to hit 250. That'd be really nice. James, can you remind us of what your current deadlift max is? <laughs> I, it just escapes my mind. It's worse than you. He's trying to start beef now <laughs> between people. It's usually James is starting beef between Filipinos. Now it's, now it's Thomas. It's my favorite thing to do. Just between, wind up all the Filipino boys in here. Between Filipinos. <laughs> yeah. Amongst our own people. <laughs> like, like there's not enough anger there already. <laughs> Oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, man. Daniel, how's your training going? Uh, good. I mean, week one of prep for nationals. So everything's moving really well. Um, but yeah, no, should be good. I did uh, squats on Monday. They were horrible. But it's only going to get better from here. What'd you hit? 215 for fives. Nice. I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, hoping to get like a 750 total at under 100. Yeah. Damn. Daniel's one of these like don't post any of the lifting stuff like keep the keep the competitors you know wondering what's this guy gonna do like I know he's got veins all over his calves <laughs> something he's jacked <laughs> it's gotta be something big in there yeah well we'll see we'll keep see. him keep him wondering yeah no it should be good what about you Tom bro this is the first week back testing testing the waters to see if my leg doesn't explode. Uh, managed to do a deadlift on on Monday, and I'll try squat on Friday. And if I can squat on Friday, I'm comps back on. Uh, that's what we want to see. Yes, I can't wait to see Tombo back out on the platform. Mm. Yeah. Was that the first time you got your you did like a full range of remote, like full deadlift? Because you've been doing heavy block pulls. Yeah, it's, it's the first time in a while. I haven't been able to squat for about six or seven weeks. I've done a de few deadlifts right at the start when I didn't realize the injury was that bad. Um, and then the deadlifts were making it worse. So I had to stop doing that. Um, so this is the first deadlift back from the floor in like four weeks, I think. Uh, and it was all good. Uh, legs pulled up really well. And I think I'll be able to squat on Friday. So if I can hit a 270 or 300, we're back on. Let's yeah, see what happens. That deadlift looked good. Bench mm. looked good as well. Yeah. Fast. Yeah, very quick. Yeah. Very strong. Very strong. Really leading from the front, Tom, bro. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wouldn't be a Thomas Peak if I didn't, you know, miss the five most important weeks of training. <laughs> um, and as Daniel keeps reminding me, nothing matters until I finish the comp. Like getting the comp is one stage, but you got to finish it, which I seem to have problems with lately as well. So it's one comp. Yeah. You're yeah. getting better. Getting further along. It wasn't one comp. The last pro roar I did, I I did a total, but I hurt myself warming up on deadlifts, and I had to token pull for eight hundred. Oh, I was meant to go for three fifty for nine hundred, and I could only pull two fifty. So there we go. <laughs> Dark days. Yeah, that's my Dark maximum. Days. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was yeah. thinking. I was like, oh, <laughs> what a horrible a problem. A token eight hundred total. <laughs> <It's open. laughs> all right. Well. This podcast is all about Daniel. He's yes. going to do basically all the talking from this point <laughs> forward, which he's super excited about. I'm pumped. I love the bit that I can, and I've said a hundred times, I can hear my own voice in my headphones. Anyone that's never done this before, it's horrible. <laughs> yes. It's horrible. You hear everything yes. you're saying back to yourself. It is pretty bad. All right. So where do we start? I w James, James, was a, you were asking me, no, someone was asking me yesterday, how did Daniel get into powerlifting in the first place and i don't actually know like i know how you made your way into the zero world but what where did let's go back a step before that even where did training start for you and then how did that evolve into powerlifting okay so um i when i was younger like 16 or so i joined a gym i was just heavily overweight um i joined it to try and lose weight look better all that sort of stuff but i went to the gym gym never really did anything or didn't really know what i was doing actually was thinking about it this morning and I distinctly remember being at the gym just training every body part every day 
And then someone told me that, you know, you need to have a little bit of like a delay. So maybe like, you know, you train chest and then a couple of days before you train it again. And I remember that just blew my mind. I was like, what? That sounds ridiculous. <laughs> and now I look back now, like when I started, like it's just so stupid, everything I was doing. But then eventually just kept training and training. Um, took it a little bit more serious as I got older and older. Um, but again, it was just to mainly look better, lose weight, all that sort of stuff. Um, again, I was one of those people that trained all the time. And then you tell yourself like, I'm a bodybuilder or I do bodybuilding, but really you're just training in the gym and not really looking like a bodybuilder or moving like a bodybuilder. And then um, I continued to do it just because at the end of the day, I just love training and I love everything about it. Um, I guess where I transitioned into powerlifting is I remember being at the Arnold's in Melbourne where Pro Raw first was, or not where it first was, where I first saw Pro Raw, sorry. Um, I remember looking over and thinking, man, that is so cool that you can enter a competition because again, like if you look at bodybuilding, it's so subjective. Like you're on stage, um, you're being judged how you look versus someone else looks. Like there's no real measure besides someone's opinion on whether you beat someone or you didn't. And then I remember looking at the stage and seeing this, you know, pro raw, um, people lifting and it's a competition where you can still train, do everything you love, but then you can actually aim to do that in a competition. Um, and it's judged by whether you actually lifted the weight or not, not judged by somebody's opinion. And for me, I was like, this gives me something to work towards, gives me something to focus on. So from then, um, I went back to the gym and I thought, you know what, I'm going to try powerlifting. I'm going to try and do a powerlifting comp. And then, yeah, joined a powerlifting gym, uh, trained there for a little bit, did a comp, um, and I loved it. Um, so that's pretty much how I got into powerlifting. Which pro role was that? Do you remember if it was eight or nine? Oh, I th- think it was, it would have been the first one that was at the Arnold's. Okay, so it was in like the back left corner of the room the warm-up room was split into two. There was like squats on one side and bench on the other side. You probably didn't see. I don't remember the warm-up room. I remember the stage. What did the stage look like? Like a stage. <laughs> <laughs> was was there like a Lamborghini out the front? Oh, I'm not sure. Maybe. Mm. I wonder when it was. It's so weird like knowing that you're in the same room as someone that's now such a big part of your life. Like we would have been... Yeah, we probably walked past each other at some stage and had no idea. You know, it's always weird to think of it like that. Yeah, I probably watched you do a comp injury free. (laughs) I didn't even know. I didn't compete. I didn't (laughs) compete at that one. Was going to hold for him, (laughs) probably because I was injured. (laughs) I I commentated though. I interviewed Arnold at that one. That was cool. Oh, I've seen that photo. Um, Yeah, it would have been the first one that was at the Arnold. Yes, the one that was. Um, And when you were, you know, finding your finding your journey you know you were losing weight was it more important for you to aim towards like the bodybuilding stage or to just looking good in a v-neck at v-neck at festivals because i know that was an important part of your life the thing is they go hand in hand oh of course yes yes Yes. so it's in order to get the v-neck you need to train like a bodybuilder okay so here's where i'm confused what the people may not know is so when we do shirt orders um, we get custom shirts for the for the staff, you know, whatever color we want. And I decided to get a different cut once, which was a very unfortunate <laughs> cut. But looking back, that's your style. I don't know why you didn't vibe it. I actually wore that shirt and trained in it once. Yeah, once because you had to. Yeah. I think I cut the sleeves off it to make it even cooler. Damn. Everyone in the gym made fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, so I don't even know why they make that shirt. <laughs> so you, you were, when Daniel says he was overweight, like he was proper huge. What were you at your heaviest? Um, it's just, it's such a hard thing to measure now that I look back on it. Cause it's like, you don't really weigh yourself we, when you're that fat, right? Yeah. But we weigh the same now. I weigh 
within a within striking distance now of what I weighed then, but it's just a very different look. Yeah. So like I finished high school at I think I was like 110 mm-hmm. or 115, but a kid or like a person that's 18 years old with not much muscle at 115 at my height is very different to myself if I weighed you know 105 now. Yeah. Um. Very very different looks. And I mean, like our perception is so skewed in this that we do that everyone's like around 100 kilos, but. Yeah. You know, if I was to compare myself to the average person that might be 115, we might look very different. Um, so, yeah, I graduated high school, yeah, about 110, 115, something like that. So I was quite overweight. Mm. And then, yeah, throughout those years, just yo-yo diet all the time. Scroll um, through scroll through Daniel's Instagram and find some, like, transformation photos. They're pretty pretty crazy. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because when I first met Daniel, I just assumed he was always that big jacked. The like, jacked dude. Yeah. And then when I seen old photos of him, I was like, there's no fucking way that was him. Yeah. Just because... I've, for as long as I've known you, you've been jacked out of your brain. You got big arms, big calves, like all the all the good muscles you want. That's what yeah. Dan's got. Yeah, but yeah, since um, and really since being up here, and since I think weirdly enough, transitioning into powerlifting, a lot of that yo-yo dieting subsided a lot more. It's still there a little bit, but nowhere near as much as it was. Well, let's let's go off the beaten track for a second before we come back to like how you got into the zero world. A lot of people don't actually recognize this about Daniel, but he's the most impressive eater that I've mm. ever seen in my life. So I want to—I want you to tell the people your your personal favorite eating achievement. Can I quickly? In, I'll quickly interrupt because I've gone and ate all you can eat wings of CJ, and he's a monster. But CJ, I, I'll shit you not—he'll put you to shame, like hands down. I bet I'm not that impressive. <laughs> I'm really not. <laughs> um, probably the biggest or my most. My most proudest achievement is um, in when we're in America, I was over there with a friend. Um, little side note story again with yo-yo dieting. We were there for three months and I gained 25 kilos. Nice. <laughs> Dream of bulk. <laughs> in amongst that 25 kilo journey, um, there was a steak challenge in Texas. It was like a 72 ounce steak. I'm not sure what that is in kilos. It's like 2.7? 2. 2. 2 point something. Yeah. So it's like a steak, baked wow. potato. Um, salad, a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, so you have one hour to finish the the whole meal. It's, it's two kilos. Just two over kilos. two. Yeah. And there's all these sides and all those other things with it. Um, the guy did it on Man vs. Food. This is the he, first episode of Man vs. Food. Oh, yeah. is it? Yeah, yeah. I think he did it in like 35 minutes. And I think I did it in 11. 11. Yeah. It's yeah. on It's on the website. That's, yeah. That's the, fucked up. It's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> two kilos of steak plus all the fixins in yeah. 11 minutes. Yeah. 11 at the minutes. time, it was like the fastest time in like 75 years or something. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I mean. Like it should be a, a TV show of Daniel versus food. Please. Yeah. Let's I, do it. I will, I, will be, I will film you as we go around the world and take on <laughs> yeah. new challenges. I think the first one I ever saw of you was that dumpling, the oh, yeah. dumpling challenge on your Instagram. Oh, yeah. that was fast as well. Eh? <laughs> yeah, that was like seven seconds. Six, yeah, I think it was like <laughs> 10 dumplings them. in six seconds. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Daniel's but, got one of those throats, you know, when people are doing like sculling and they mm. just disappear. Daniel's got yeah. one of those. Yeah, I can Scoop. do it. I can probably do it now with this bottle of water. Don't do it. <laughs> do you want me to do it? Do you want me For the fans? <laughs> You're the a president, fans. Daniel. You have to lead by example. Yeah, yeah. Those days are over. Oh? No. no. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. It's on. Oh, it's quite cold. It is. You're going to no get excuses. brain freeze. All right. I'm going to time it. All right. <laughs> when you hit go, I'm going to watch the clock. Right. You got 500, 600 mils of water. All right. Oh, there's a tiny bit. 
That was three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> the bottle didn't squish down enough. Uh, That's my president <laughs> let down, let down by the equipment, equipment malfunction. Still extremely That's impressive. Wild. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah. You literally just breathe that in. I can't believe what I just saw. Have you, have you done besides the, the steak and like the dumplings, have you done any formal eating challenges? Cause I know you've done stuff like, uh, like 10 cheeseburgers and 10 yeah. minutes or whatever. Um, what do you mean by formal? Like, have I entered into an eating competition? Not a comp, but like, you know, challenges at restaurants. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that steak one was a challenge at a restaurant. I've done some other ones that, you know, like big burgers and things like that at restaurants and stuff like that as well. So, um, what what what's the process like? What's the programming? Do you peek into these competitions <laughs> or do you just is there a taper? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that one in America, it was my peak for it was seven or eight weeks of eating nothing but shit. <laughs> I wanted all the time, so I was ready. I was prepped and ready. Um, but yeah, now if I was to do it, I couldn't. The speed, I can still get the speed, but it's the volume. I don't, I don't have the volume anymore. That's crazy. It's funny because proper competitive eaters, they actually have a process like that. You know, they build up to their bigger, their big meals, and they, I don't know if they call it a deload, but you know, they actually have a, pro, they actually have a really well thought out process. It's, wow. it's stomach stretching. They do things like eating kilos of like boiled broccoli, so they're not getting the calories and drinking gallons of water. That's crazy. Mm. That's wild. You know, it's pretty full on. I wanted to start by, I met you first in 2017 or 2018, I can't remember, at our old facility, PTC, uh, yeah. Runaway Bay. That's when I first met you. And I just remember meeting you and Rochelle. You guys were flying in, flying out, doing work wherever. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> before working for Zero, I used to work for a shop fitting company and Rochelle and I, so Rochelle's my partner, um, we would fly interstate and build different department stores wherever they were. So you know, all around Australia. So that was really good, really fun. Um, I loved it at the time. We're flying in every new town, new gyms, all that sort of stuff. So um, actually that's how I met these guys. I was staying in Hope Island, which is a town not too far from here. Um, I was here, what was meant to be for a week and then ended up being here for three months. And within that three months, I was training at what was PTC at the time. And that's where I met Thomas. Um, I would have met James at the time then as well. And then that's how I got sort of involved with uh, PT or zero, which was PTC at the time. And then Thomas started coaching me from there. And then, um, so that's how I met everyone. And it wasn't for a couple of years later that I really got more involved with zero. Cause again, like living in Melbourne, zero being in Queensland, well, there's a big disconnect. Like a lot of it was just online. Um, so we weren't actually involved with the gym that much, but we'd always train here or, um, wherever the location was whenever we came to Queensland. So um, little side note, if I did come to Queensland and we were staying here for work, I'd try and get a gym, a little bit, uh, a hotel, a little bit closer to the Gold Coast, just so I had the ability to train here. Cause at the time, even flying around the world, um, the world, even flying around Australia, I always made it a priority that training was always something I'd want to do and always like a big priority. So tried to get, you know, a hotel near the gym, made sure I could always get access to a gym, all that sort of stuff. Um, hmm. so in, in saying that, like, <clears throat> yeah, you trained at Thomas's gyms. You got online coaching and that. How did the relationship really develop though? Like, because now you guys are business partners. Like, you guys are very close. You guys work together really closely now. How did that happen? Yeah. So like, where did where did how did that happen? Where did it start? Kind of thing. Yeah. So when again, like, just training the gym, being we just became friends, and then um, I guess the story of how friends turned into um, having a gym together is is really like working at that old job. Like I said before, is um. I really loved it. Um, I liked flying around, but I always used to say to myself, like, I'm never going to do this when I'm 30. 
Like, I like it, but I'm not going to do it when I'm 30. The closer and closer I got to 30, it soon became like, I'm never going to do this when I'm 35. And that was a real reality for me to just be like, oh, I've pushed it. Like, my goalpost is 30. Now I've pushed it to 35. Am I just going to keep pushing it and pushing it? So um, I distinctly remember I was in New Zealand at the time listening to an audio book. It was actually Chris Duffin's book. Um, and there was a quote in there about this, um, like, climbing this tree. And he was saying, like, if you just stand at the bottom of the tree and you tell your friends and you tell everyone how you're going to climb the tree one day, um, time's going to go past and you're not going to actually go anywhere. You're still going to be the person standing at the bottom of the tree telling everyone how one day you're going to climb this tree. Rather than that, you want to be the person that just climbs it branch by branch and eventually you get to the top of the tree. Um, that hit home for me because I distinctly remember always being like, I'm going to buy a gym one day. I'm going to buy a gym one day. and never, ever did anything about it. So um, anyway, that hit home on that trip. So... When we got back, I actually messaged Thomas and I was like, hey man, um, you know, you're a really trusted friend. Like you've done so good in the industry. Like I really would love your advice. Like, do you have any advice for me on um, opening a gym? Like I really want to do it, blah, 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 et cetera. And then um, Thomas was like, yep, sweet, I'll hit you back. And then he actually called me. He messaged me, messaged me a week later. He's like, I've got an opportunity for you if you're serious. Called me up and he was like, I know someone that's selling a gym. Are you interested like how soon do you want to buy one? And it went from being this idea of like, let's actually try and get a gym to the reality of like, holy shit, there's a possibility of buying a gym. It was only like a couple of weeks. Um, and I think my response straight away was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Um, let's do it. And then the rest was history. I think from that phone call to us actually purchasing or putting a deposit on some equipment was again, only a couple of weeks later. So from it being an actual idea to actually coming to fruition was like, a month, I think. Yeah, it was, it was very, very quick. Very quick. Uh, I'm trying to um, I'm trying to find the message, but it must be on Messenger, not on in text message. I've got a screenshot of it somewhere. Yeah, uh, but it was very quick, and um, yeah, it's and it's interesting because like so, uh, Daniel came up here for that three months. Um, we started coaching together, and that actually ended within I don't know within a year. It, it, Daniel. Uh, went to a new gym and the coaching arrangement didn't work anymore. And like, as with any client that leaves, it's just like, yeah, you, you got to do what's best for you. You know, I'll support you in your lifting and everything like that. Uh, and we stayed friends, you know, when I went down there, would hang out and grab a feed and stuff like that. Um, and he sent me this message saying, yeah, I, like the, the background on my end was that I was coaching and, and doing coach development with another business, um, and uh, they were getting to the end of, of keeping their gym and they were looking at whether they should sell the gym or just sell the equipment and let the lease expire. And um, I was trying to help them find someone to buy this gym and I was asking other people. And then there was a, a person or two where I thought, well, I could ask them and I could I'd buy a share in the business. They can have the business do what they want with it and I can have a share like as a grace investor. And then things, time kept going on and the sort of the figures that the business owners were throwing out there were kind of dropping. And I was like, I could really just buy this gym. Um, and the, the week that I started sent, thinking like that was the week that Daniel messaged me being like, oh, I've got this two-year dream and I really want to open a gym one day. Do you think it's possible? Can you give me some tips? And I'm just like, hey, man, do you? Well, I mean, if you want to open a gym in like two months. I think it was actually, <laughs> I want to open a gym in five years. And it became, yeah two months came very quickly yeah it was just uh, the the right place the right time and um away we went because i still remember when you told me thomas you're thinking about it uh doing this and then i remember the next convo was oh you're going here and you're cutting up mats kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it all happened really quickly uh from obviously i don't know the 
ins and outs of it. But for me, on the outside, it happened very quickly. And um, yeah, there were a few hurdles along the way with uh, the spicy cough, COVID and uh, things like that. But yeah, well, we opened on February 1st and we closed on March 16th. <laughs> yeah. So we, nice. we had just under six weeks of operating before the gym shut down. What a dream. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I think Living I'm, your dream. Yeah, I messaged you in October. We opened in February and we'll, yeah, closed again by March. Mm. And then reopened in June. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And so, like, um, I mean, uh, I actually, I so you guys know that I think about things differently and I always talk about this imagined reality stuff. I wanted to read you something that I've been seeing a few people share and I, w- I want to hear your uh, perception on it, Daniel. Bear with me because this is a bit of a mouthful, but uh, this person that people have been sharing around this this post, it, it says, the unfortunate truth of owning and running a business. Running a business is really hard. What they don't tell you is that can cause severe stress and anxiety and drains you mentally to the point of depression, even in the most laid back people. People will talk about you, compare you to others, use you, they will view you as a service and not a person anymore. Friends and family will expect discounts and people will value you and your hard work less than a big chain store. You have to worry about if you forget to email or message someone back. Are they going to think it was on purpose? Did you disappoint them? Will they hold it against you? When in reality, you just can't get to everyone's messages and emails. Starting up and running a successful business puts an incredible strain on personal lives uh, and relationships, many of which fail because there is just often no work-life balance. You need to be the director, the worker, the admin, marketing team, the accountant, the cleaner, also while being a parent, husband, wife, family support, friend. It's one of the hardest things you will try and balance. There's a reason why you don't see many people succeed in small business after five years. If they are successful, they're overwhelmed. It takes a toll. It's it's freaking exhausting, especially the past couple of years when so much has been taken out of your control. Here's a small reminder that we are just normal people with hectic lives. Be kind, be patient, support small business, and hopefully more of us will stick around. What's your perception of that? I think uh, my perception of that is the same as it would be with other things like that. Um, Not particularly this topic. But if you go in with a mentality like that, and you think about that all the time, and that's all you think about, then that's going to be your reality. Like, yeah, if I go in and think, oh, man, this is going to be a shit day, then it's going to be a shit day. So it's like, if you're constantly thinking that that's your reality all the time, yeah, it's kind of become your reality. Mm. Yeah, because uh, you hear this a lot from, like, businesses and coaches, business coaches and mentors, especially in the fitness and gym space, you know, expect to be stressed. It's going to be really hard. This has been really hard for us. All that's indicative of to me is that people are getting into business without knowing anything of business. And I, I mean, I can, I can empathize with that because I got into business not knowing anything about business, but I fluked my way to, to where we are. And if you've got a good framework and a good structure, there's no reason why you should be stressed. Yeah. Well, I was going to say a side note to that is I am fortunate and I can't dismiss the fact or ignore the fact that I got into business with you. Mm-hmm. Like you already had quite a good base, you had quite a good foundation, like um, everything about it was heading in the right direction. You knew what you were going to do. Um, Like at the end of the day, I know I've got the work ethic and I knew you had um, the ideas and you you built the business already. So it was a lot easier for me. I wasn't, and thinking about it, if I did, and that's why it was a five-year plan originally, because if I wanted to open a gym and I just went and bought equipment and opened a gym, probably would have failed. So it would have taken me those few five years to actually get some sort of foundation, learn about business, do all those sort of things to then have that sort of backing before I open a gym. But again, opening it with you, just cut that five years out, all those necessary steps. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like what I'm saying, I guess, is if you had taken that two years on your own to actually go out, research, learn about business, learn about marketing, learn about sales, and then open up when you had the capital to do so, 
it would have been a success anyway because you've got that work ethic. Yeah, for sure. Uh, to me, like statements like that, I, I hear the person's pain in it. You know, they've, they've tried to open a business. It hasn't done well. But when you project that onto everyone else, this would be like never having driven a car before, getting in a car, then making a post being like, driving a car is really hard. You're going to crash heaps. You're going to stall your car heaps. You're going to suck at it. It's going to be really hard. People don't realize how stressful it is when everyone else has a license. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really... It really bugs me when I see this perception that business or small business should be hard and should be stressful and is going to ruin your life because it doesn't have to be that way. No. And and at the end of the day, like it, yeah. And if it is going to be hard and stressful, just don't fixate on that. Like try to make it go better instead of just trying to be, it's going to sound horrible, but to try to be the victim, like actually take those steps to make it better mm. rather than just always filling your thoughts with being like, this is the worst, this is terrible, blah, 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 et cetera. Well, that's it. And a lot of the times people know what's wrong. People know what's not working. And so it's just action at that point. It's just what actions do I need to take to turn this thing around? Um, and then going forward with that. Anyway, getting a bit off track. Yeah. Um, so I, I think this is really important for people to hear um, because you know, um, a lot of people still see zero as me. And what people don't realize is that the growth has been possible by Daniel and Rochelle. Like that really, um, that really skyrocketed zero into you know, giving me the confidence to expand into into more gyms. Um, Daniel and Rochelle have turned Southside into such an amazing place that it's, you know, showcased the fact that we can take what we have zero and replicate it in other places with other people and put your own spin on it. And so what people don't realize is that Daniel does own, own zero Southside with me. He's got an ownership share in the new zero Brisbane with me. Like he's been pivotal in the growth of this business. So it's important that people realize um, what role that Daniel has played um, and Rochelle and, you know, all the hard work that you guys have put in. So thank you. No, no. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I don't regret it for an absolute, not for a second. What yeah. about when your red gym equipment shows up as purple? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you regret that? <laughs> equipment by any other color still works the same. <laughs> <laughs> he says with the fakest <laughs> smile you've ever seen. <laughs> all right. Well, what about APL? So... Um, the El Presidente gags we were making at the start of this is because Daniel has recently uh, stepped up and, and taken the role of, of president of, of the Australian Powerlifting League. Um, and how this came about was that, uh, you know, Zero, me specifically, and then the resources through Zero were working closely with John Gabriel, the former president. Uh, and he basically said, due to his life circumstances, other business ventures, family, everything, um, he'd lost he'd lost the love to drive the the federation anymore, and he wanted to take a step back and stand away from it. And he thought the logical next best step was for me to step up and run it through through the resources that we had at zero. And I said no. I was like, no, nah, no way, I'm not touching this because I don't want to be a powerlifting president. Um, uh, but I thought it would be unwise of me to say no and say no on behalf of everyone that fell under zero. Uh, so I took it to the managers. I took it to a bunch of us. We had a group call um, and basically all of us said no, except for Daniel. <laughs> and Daniel's like, nah, this is a great opportunity. We can do something with this. Uh, and he stood up to the plate. He's the president. Now we're already seeing massive changes in APL and, and massive growth. Um, do you want to talk a, a little bit more about that? Yeah, I guess, um, I guess the reason that I stepped up the most or that I was really passionate about it is just because you guys have put so much work into this that I just thought that letting it go would just be a, you know, a terrible idea. Like we have the resources, we have the passion. 
Um, we've got all of that to make this such a really good federation. Like, again, like at the end of the day, we just want something that's best for the lifters. And, you know, we're working around the clock at the moment tirelessly to try and give that best experience to the lifters that we can. Um, we are in the teething process at the start and there's a little bit of um, like things that need to be worked out. But every single day we're working harder and harder. So like we just want to give a federation back that, yeah, everyone can train in, compete in and just have fun because, you know, there's, there's, you know, you, that's the end of the day. It's just about having fun, having a good time and just getting amongst it. Growing it from yeah. the grassroots really. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think people don't realise because it's really easy as a consumer to sit there and see a change happen and then get upset with little things like the date of nationals changing and all this sort of stuff. And I think people realize how massive a task Daniel inherited with APL. Like there was, there was two tentative dates that weren't completely locked in. The nationals date didn't work with the amount of lifters that we needed for nationals. So he worked so fucking hard to find a new venue as close as possible or on that day a better venue a bigger venue that can handle the volume of lifters like the alternative was stay at the venue that wasn't anywhere near the capacity that apl needed um and then the world's tentative booking fell completely through so he's been working his ass off getting a, a new world's venue um, like there was a lot of stuff that daniel inherited with apl that anyone would have just looked at on paper and been like no way yeah, it wasn't easy. Yeah, like when you think you've got everything lined up. Oh, we've got a competition in 12 weeks or 11 weeks, whatever the case may be. And then your venue turns around and says, oh, by the way, we've actually double booked. So your venue's now cancelled. And then, yeah, you scour the whole of the Gold Coast. We even... And Brisbane. And, and I was about to say, we almost had a point where we, were, well, we did, sorry. We looked through Brisbane. Um, we went everywhere, like all up and down where it was going to be. And yeah, we've managed to land a place in the Gold Coast. Um, not just us. Shout out to our uh, events manager, Ree, who helped us out along the way. Weapon. Um, but yeah, no, so we're just... And that's the thing, like, these are the bits that people don't see. And it's exciting. Like, it's exciting that, you know, that it's not a great thing, but, the, you know, the venue cancels. And instead of just, like, giving up, it's exciting that we actually put it together and really put in the work to actually find something. And we're trying to do, like, just that's one example of it but there's lots of examples of that at the moment so we're trying to you know work through all these things piece by piece mm. just yeah. trying to elevate the federation because it was it it was a great federation already just in terms of the quality of competitions the vibe that we provided um as in like me speaking as a meat director i wasn't running the fed and the other meats uh, but working closely with daniel and seeing what he's doing with apl now it's just trying to take that element of professionalism up a notch you know with world champions come championships coming up it's really um uh, prompting daniel to relook at the systems develop better systems develop a better experience for everyone um what is uh what is nationals and worlds going to look like what what sort of special stuff do we have in store to i guess elevate the competition <laughs> my favorite thing is your favorite thing which is the logos oh yeah so they look <clears throat> mad yeah no the logos are really cool so um we just got the nationals logo out the other day so we'll um have a new one designed for worlds and there's just little things like that that we want to do like you know new logos for like all those different events um what we're going to, I mean, there hasn't been a Nationals here for a few years, has there? So that's exciting in itself. I mean, it's been, what, three years since yeah, you guys well, have had one? the last APL one was 2019. Yeah, so um, we're looking at about 200, for Nationals, we're looking at about 200 lifters over three days. Um, so it should be a really good event. I mean, um, it's in the Gold Coast. 
Um, the event itself is really good. Uh, it's a two-minute walk from the Ben & Jerry store. Um, what else could you want? <laughs> <laughs> so if, if anyone's listening to this and you've been powerlifting, around powerlifting for a, for a while, the venue is the same venue that we used for GPC Nationals from 2014 to 16. Um, and it's a it's a great venue. And if you ever went to any of those competitions, it's been completely refurbished since then. So it's way nicer as well. Um, so the competition is going to be huge. Um, it worked out best to have both nationals and worlds there. Is that correct? Yeah. So it did work out best in the end. And like we said before, is um, we did, again, explore extra venues. But it was just... N- near impossible at this time because with COVID happening, so many events have just been pushed back, pushed back, pushed back over the last couple of years that all of these places are just booked out for months and months ahead. Mm. Like they were telling us now that if you have any idea to put um, comps together for next year, you'd be wanting to book now, which is something we're looking at already. So we're looking at um, a couple of really big competitions next year, Um, you know, tested nationals in the middle of the year and then uh, open nationals at the end of the year. and yeah, so we're already organizing those sort of things uh, ahead of time so that this sort of um, dilemma doesn't happen again with a change of dates or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So na- Nationals this year is over three days? And Correct. Worlds is four? Worlds is four, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Um, so yeah, Tested Worlds is, is up to 240 lifters. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, and we've already spoken to the guys uh, out of USPA out of America. Um, so they run the IPL and um, they've got some team coming out here and everything's looking pretty exciting. It's going to be really cool just to get some international lifters over here as well. Again, not having any competitions in the last few years, not having any international travel, to be able to have an international competition. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be really cool. Mm. It's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I Daniel like worked with with our graphic designer Nick to create those those logos, and now he's um getting custom made medals with those logos on them that are going to be huge and sick. Yeah, I can't no. wait for those. Yeah, and I'm really excited about that. So just like. Yeah, if you, you know, you win, you win a medal, you take it home. It's not just that, you know, generic medal that you get at any event. This is like first, second, or third. It's going to be the actual logo on a hunk of metal. It's going to be cool as. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really sweet. Um, You mentioned there as well, next year, you're looking at an open nationals and a tested national. So splitting nationals up into two. Um, That means we can run two massive competitions and, and that's going to really help with, the growing demand because the demand is, is getting gigantic. And one of the, one of the good things about APL is the amount of divisions that it has, like it really does cater to everyone, uh, but it does make it a little bit trickier with the smaller competitions. Like me speaking as a meat director, even running States, you know, 120 lifters is a lot of lifters, but with that many divisions, it's still, it's still hard to showcase, um, or explain to the average punter that doesn't really understand powerlifting why so many people are winning, why so many people are getting medals. So by splitting it now up into two and having the open and the tested within those competitions, then it'll just be weight classes with classic raw and raw. So instead of having, um, you know, four subsets of medals to get a, give away, it's going to half it, which is going to make the competition a little bit more, um, um, a little bit closer you know people are going to have to work harder to be able to win it's going to make it better for the spectators um, more interesting for the lifters uh, and it means we can serve more people yeah it just brings the competitiveness back to the competition and again like yeah with with that growth of the sport yeah we're going to be able to have more people compete at these national events and it's just gonna be really awesome mm. instead of just trying to condense so much into three days like there's only so many lifters you can have per day 
Like, it's not like, you know, powerlifting is a big day event. We don't want to just drag these events out. Like, we could, you know, we could have more and more flights throughout the day, but do people want to be there at a competition from 6 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night? Like, it's mm. not fair on anybody. Mm. Yeah. Just on that, um, <clears throat> just being watching or being a part of the APL for the last three years or whatever, um, obviously it's, uh, unarguably, it's the fastest growing federation in Australia. But um, so obviously you inherited a lot of problems. Uh, one thing I've noticed you've had to encounter is you inherited the old qualifying totals for world uh, for nationals and things like that. Um, like from the outside looking in, it's it seems pretty shitty. But uh, from the inside, I completely understand. Like you did not expect. Well, I'm not too sure if you expected, but obviously the federation's grown immensely. So can you talk me through that process and talk us through the the new qualify uh, the new However, the new qualifications working in. Yeah, so the qualifying total itself hasn't changed. So, uh, besides the female weight class, so we've added in. Uh, I think it's so. Previously, it was in the female weight class, it was just ninety plus, but now it's 90, 100, 110 plus. Um, so we've added in those weight classes, which should have been added in already. Um, but it wasn't so much. Uh, I guess it's a problem now that we've inherited, but everyone was told that if you hit this certain qualifying number, you're going to make it into nationals. Um, again, with nationals in the past only being so small, now that nationals has grown so big, that qualifying total, a lot of people have hit it. A lot more than, like a lot of people have hit it and a lot more are wanting to do nationals than we expected. Um, so, you know, we're looking in the, not just, you know, we're looking in the multiples of hundreds of people that are looking to compete. So, Unfortunately, we can only cater to so many. So, you know, people being told in the past that, you know, if you total 500, you've made it into nationals. Well, now we sort of have to more of it, look at it as a whole once we get every applicant in. And that's why we've done applications quite early, even before all the competitions are finished, just so we can get a, like an idea of the volume of applicants we're going to get. Then we're going to sort through it. We're going to figure out a ranking system the best we can that's fairest for everybody um, so that everyone gets a fair chance of being able to compete and that's why, again, we've had the question asked a lot of like, you know, applications are open, you know, I haven't even competed yet, all this sort of stuff. And that's why we've had to do it like that. Um, yeah, man. So <laughs> it's, mm. it's a really hard thing, you know, and I've been watching Daniel go through this. You see it in politics, uh, in, in, the real, in the real world, uh, in our little yeah. powerlifting world, you know, the, the really hard thing is that the previous organization had said a lot of things and made a lot of promises based on history. Like if you hit this total first and best dress you can do nationals we just can't do that because then it becomes unfair um and so daniel's been working really hard to work out the fairest way to do this the reality is is that you know i'm, I'm going to be um sponsoring nationals in terms of supplying all the equipment and helping run run the competition as like the, you know the local meet director and um when you've when you've got that sort of uh, volume of lifters, it can be hard to squeeze everyone in. So a three day competition, ideally for me, looks like 180 lifters, two sessions, two flights, 60 lifters a day. We can push that up by a flight per day, uh, so we can really add another 30 to 45 people. We should be able to fit everyone that applies in, but there is a small chance that some people miss out, which will have to be based on fairness on ranking. Um, and then it's just better luck next year. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, what you have to consider, this is a national championships. Like, it should be showcasing the best of the best. So we have to do it on rankings. That's my input. Daniel's going to decide what's best and fairest. Um, but yeah, my input and the input of a few other meet directors as well has been, 
it has to be done on ranking because it's how a national should work. Yeah, and that I do agree. That's how we are going to get it done. But again, like I've said to everyone, is that we're going to wait for all the applicants to come in first. Um, so if you if you are thinking of nationals and you haven't competed yet or it's something you want to do, I would suggest applying now because once we get all those applicants in, that's when we're going to make the decision on how we're going to do this ranking system again. Because yeah, if you know if 150 people apply all good 150 people you're all in if 400 people apply well now we're gonna have to be a bit more um ruthless unfortunately um and i can say already that we've already passed the 200 mark so, mm-hmm. so um, that's if, sorry yeah if nationals is something you're thinking about doing i'd apply for it now like you said thomas that's like to me that's just the unfortunate nature of how it is there's no other sport where you can just go to nationals like if you're playing in a touch team and your touch team sucks or rugby team or whatever, you don't get to go to nationals. You have to qualify to go to nationals. You have to yeah. be the best in your region. You have to be the best in your state. You don't just get to show up to nationals. Yeah, but the problem that we've had is, I and I completely agree, but the problem we've had is everyone has been told already. Yeah, for this sure. This is no. all you need to do and now yeah. you've qualified for nationals. And not taking away anything from um, how it was run in the past. Like APL has been amazingly run in the past. Like they've done such a good job to get it where it is. Um, but yeah, we only just want to now take it to that next level. And unfortunately, we've inherited this um, these promises that were made, which again, like Thomas said, was based on the volume of the sport. It's just gotten bigger. So um, yeah, unfortunately, that's the situation we're in. You got to look at it both ways. Though. I reckon it's awesome for the sport. It's growing oh, yeah. so much. Oh, heaps. It's, yeah, a, it's so a great better. problem to have. Like, mm, yeah. I mean, we would have never predicted this. We released the, uh, Daniel released the application form last week. Mm. There's already 200 people that want to do nationals. Like that's wild, really, really, really good. And it's going to be a great show. And like I said, I I'm confident as you know being part of the meet that we will be able to cater for pretty much everyone because even when you look at 200 on paper, when we go through the applications, there'll be some goobers that have applied 13 times. <laughs> there'll be um, there'll be a bunch of people that pull out. There's always, you know, there's there's generally a 1% to 2% churn of people that get injured, can't make it for whatever reason, that apply and go through the whole process and then have to pull out. So I'm pretty confident that we're going to be able to service all people. And if not, it's just kind of a case of better luck next year. And next year is going to be even better because of the split in the nationals. So effectively, we can cater to double the amount of people. Um, and that, that should uh, that should make it really cool. And both, both of those nationals next year will be proper nationals, like in a venue, big competition, sponsors, custom medals, all of that stuff that we're doing this year. Um, so it's really exciting. Do we have a location for those nationals next year? Um, we've got a couple of locations in mind, but we haven't locked them in just yet. So we're just weighing up the best options. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. The, the locations Daniel's been looking at are awesome. Though. Yeah. Like they'll be mind blowing. Yeah. But again, these locations that we have for this year will be really great. And the caliber of just everything that we're going to do is hopefully really good. Equipment wise, I mean, you're talking about, like Thomas said, bringing equipment from ground zero. So you've got, you know, four, five, six Alico combos in the warm up room, all the bars are Alico, plates are Alico. What, like, the equipment itself is going to be the best. Mm-hmm. So, Things like that is going to make it really exciting. Yeah. Sweet. Exciting times ahead. I actually didn't know, like you talking about um, when you started Zero Southside, how close that was to when the pandemic hit. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that because I started here a little bit after that. So I just assumed you were always around. No, <laughs> I had no, no idea that you no. just started. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, it, was, it wasn't great. Um, obviously for obvious reasons, but I mean, it could have been a lot worse. Like mm. we survived it in the end. Um, everyone was scrambling for gym equipment and I had a gym to train at. So I mean, 
that was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Southside did the same thing as, as yeah. we did here. They they gave out all the equipment basically besides like a, a few of the bare bones that were left behind in the gym. Um, that helped ke- keep some of the membership base, but there wasn't really a membership base to begin with. You know, no. It was very small. No, like Thomas said, when we took it over, it was an existing gym already. And I think they had 12 members. So by the time um, by the time we had a couple of more members grow and then COVID hit, I think we only had like less than 30 members, maybe like 20 or 30 throughout that time. So coming out of COVID, I think yeah, we had like 20 members left. But yeah, it just gave out all the equipment. We had one bar left. Um, inside the gym with a, just, just a handful of plates. So, but no. Wow. It's like a 24-month year that <laughs> just flew fast. Yeah, yeah. But what no, the ground zero was really crazy when COVID hit and everyone was like scrambling for equipment. This place got completely stripped out. <laughs> One of the dudes, I think his name's Gerard. I th- I'm pretty sure it was him. He rocked up in a tiny little hatchback and took the car phrase machine. <laughs> yeah, he took the car phrase. He threw the car phrase machine <laughs> into the boot of his car. <laughs> He took he took everything. <laughs> he didn't even train at home. He took it at work. Mm. I'm pretty sure he trained in a back room at work. Yeah. <laughs> the car phrase machine. <laughs> what? Got to get them gains, baby. Yeah. Car not, phrase. not the plate loaded one downstairs. It was like a like a seated car phrase that you put plates on. Yeah, yeah. So it fit in the back of his hatchback. Yeah, cars don't care about <laughs> COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Got to still grow the baby cows. That's right. <laughs> so moving forward uh, with Southside, what does that look like? What do you want to? Do is there any ambitions, any goals that you want to, or what you could change? Uh, well, like any gym, I mean, we just want to get bigger and bigger and grow and have more of a community, more members, all that sort of stuff. We have tossed around the idea in the past of moving to another location, but the location we're at now is, it's an odd location for a gym, but it works really well and it's quite homely feeling. Yeah. So we thought about the only way we're going to move and get somewhere bigger would be moving to like a factory or an industrial area. And it sort of takes away a lot of that warmth that mm. homeliness feeling so i guess for Southside, the growth would just be like growing it where it is more members just you know like any sort of business or gym that's the growth you want to go down um i think that's a big reason why looking to branch out towards north side that sort of it's more of a where does thomas want to grow zero rather than where do you want to grow south side mm. i think so because south uh, zero as a business is something you can continually grow like that yeah there is no end to it but when you have like an individual location like Southside, that's just one branch like it can grow and grow and grow and grow but it's going to hit a limit unless you move to you know another location another location yeah mm. so it's more about the growth of zero as a business we want it to be the bodybuilding mecca of australia yes, yes. Ooh, let's go All about it mecca i do love that i've been there a couple of times to um shoot content and i haven't trained there yet i still want to but i, I yeah first time going there i was pulling up to the street going like this can't be it because i'm in the middle of a suburb yeah it's and a really weird spot yeah but I, I love that it is very homely and it's quiet and it's like peaceful around there it's yeah not, like trucks driving through and stuff like that um i want to i want to shift things a little bit so everyone here that works here actually yeah everyone that does work at zero has really good sneaker game <laughs> and a couple of weeks ago, it's actually one of the short reels on, on Instagram that actually just <laughs> blew up amongst the com- zero community um, where our good friend Ryan Anderson put, put, um, put in a question saying, who's got our, the best? Our former good friend. <laughs> <laughs> Your former good friend. I still love I love you, Ryan. I love you. <laughs> I love him. He put it in a question saying, um, who has the best sneak cam at zero? 
And then he added this, can anyone beat Daniel? <laughs> and it stirred the community up massively. His reaction just went viral. <laughs> Everyone loves seeing <laughs> Thomas take it so personally. So yeah. now that you're here, you're yep. with us, you can actually vat, uh, defend yourself. <laughs> who, what do you, what do you, who do you think has the, has the best sneaky game? Because oh. when we answer that question, we pretty much just pushed you down the list. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> Where he belongs. Yeah. <laughs> I know James isn't that one. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> With his Nike TNs. Yeah, they're mad. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> mad if you st- want to steal a kid's Nokia 3315 from the skate park, maybe. Literally. Right, let me put it out there. My, I don't I don't have the best sneaker collection, but i got the most versatile. Yeah, I was going to say, you go from New Balance to yeah. like- There we go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Very yeah. versatile. You're like, yeah, I'm going to go for a hike and then I'm going to sell yep. drugs. <laughs> like right now I've got on- uh, I've, What have I got on now? I've got some Kumite Gus on uh, Chuck Taylor 70s. You know, i got a bit of everything. I like that. Mm. I like the variety. Yeah. Wait, what did you say? Come de Garçon. What does that mean? It's a des- is it a designer brand? It is. <laughs> I know yeah, for a man that knows his sneakers. Yeah, yeah no, it's a designer me. brand. I've got a couple pairs <laughs> of these. So they're word. a collab. Yes. What are they worth? These retail at two hundred and forty. Really? But I got these like I don't know if you've noticed these are real popular now. But I got these in like twenty sixteen. Okay. So I've, you can, know, can you just buy them or were they like a limited run? They were a limited run, but now Converse stock them. Oh, yeah. yeah, which is is shit because they've kind of lost their. To me, they've lost their value. I like them because they're a little bit different. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I don't... Yeah. I mean, who has the best? I mean, I'm not going to... Thomas, you do <laughs> always come in with good shoots. Mm. Always, always, always. Whenever we but do we'll something... Always see, Ryan, Ryan's confused because he doesn't know. I Because I only wear the same two pairs of shoes to the gym at the moment. Yeah. So fix that. <laughs> You do wear, a, every time we go out for dinner or something, I'm like, well, what's he got on his feet? I'm not going to say anything though. I don't want to let him know. But <laughs> like I was, you, when we went out the other week, I wore those shoes for you and I was waiting the whole night to hear oh, something. And I went home and I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to wear slides from now. This is fucking pointless. What were they? Can you say? I can't remember what I wore. Were they the... They were sevens or sixes? They were si- yeah, I wore the I wore Maroon Sixes. Maroon Sixes, yeah. They were mad. Was it the Maroon Sixes? Yeah. Yeah. They were mad. You beat your tongue all night. Uh, I, took, I took notice. I looked on the table. <laughs> yeah. Act like I don't know. Damn. <laughs> Ouch. Damn, damn, damn. Yeah. But yeah, Thomas is good, but it's always Air Jordan Retros. Do you have anything else besides Air Jordan Retros? I've got two pairs of up tempos. Yep. And then, no, nah, not really. Chuck Taylor's. Yeah, I, I remember a few years ago, you bought some Yeezys. Yeah, I sold no. them. I sold them to an NRL player. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know who. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. mate. Well, <laughs> J- Josiah <laughs> sold them for me. I'll see if I can find uh, who he sold them to. I'll tell you what I'm always impressed with, with Daniel, is how clean he stays when he works. So we demolished the the office out here and he wore Jordans while we did that. And I was here for five minutes and I was just covered in shit. <laughs> and Daniel walked away looking like he hadn't worked a day, even though he demolished the whole thing basically single handed. In saying that though, I always see Daniel and Rochelle. I've, I've seen you a few times holding your shoe, cleaning it like with a wipe or something. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I wear them all. I don't just leave them in a box in the cupboard. Well, I actually you, wear them all. You're a real sneakerhead. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's no good if you, Buy a pair of shoes and it just sits in the cupboard. And yeah. you look back on it in four years and be like, fuck, that's my favorite pair of shoes that I've never, ever worn. Rochelle's Rich- also got a really nice collection. 
Yeah. Is that your influence? A little bit. I actually bought her a pair of Air Jordan 11s. And I was like, these are so fucking cool. Uh, like, these are sick. You should wear them. And she's, I think, begrudgingly worn them once. And I think that hurts me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Does she not like them? Yeah, she's like, no, nah, I don't like them. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Rochelle, if you're listening, he's taking shots. <laughs> taking shots at his fiance. I'm team Rochelle, by the way. Yeah, well, I'm all about her sneaker game. I'm just saying, like, throw those Jordan 11s on. Thank you, please. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who it was, but it was from someone from the Manly Sea Eagles. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a voice message there, so maybe he said in there, I don't want to play it just in case. <laughs> you went interstate. <laughs> what co- what um, pairs of uptempos do you have? What color? Um, I have some blue ones and I think like bread. Oh, that's so cool. CJ, you wear uptempos. I've got black ones. Mm. Yeah. Rochelle's got uptempos. Yeah. yeah. She's got those psychedelic ones. Mm. Yeah, they're really cool. It's Dope. like Peace, Love and Nike or something. And they're like all rainbowy on the side. That's mad. They're really cool. I think up tempos were the first sneakers that I ever saw and fell in love with when I was like nine or ten years old or something like that. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And I didn't have a pair till like two or three years ago. Yeah, they're a, they're a wild looking shoe. Um, every time I wear them, people I've got a pair as well. They're all white with the black air. And every time I wear them, people always comment on them, mm. which is weird because if you really look at it, it's a weird looking shoe. Yeah, but like you've it's got ugly. You and it's Thomas not. both have calves, so it like kind of makes shoes look good. When I wear <laughs> when I wear like high top shoes, that's why I always wear uh, high socks as well because I got little legs. So when I wear high top shoes, it just looks like I got bricks on my feet. <laughs> so really, yeah. But now I wear I my um. I now notice I noticed that when you were squatting in the bread ones. Yeah, it looked like you. Let me say that again in the bread ones. <laughs> <laughs> that's our uh, Tombro's influence, by the way. Squatting in the ones. Yeah, what can I, say? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I remember seeing um, uh, before I even knew anything about Zero. Um, I saw yeah Seb Arab do it, and to know that you influenced that, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if I actually did influence it, but I claim <laughs> that I did. It's a good claim. All right, Daniel, quick fire. Yes. Um, Shit. Quick. Here we go. <laughs> favorite bodybuilder. Go. Um, of all time. Of all time. Yeah, dead or alive. I think Jay Cutler. Damn. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. By Rich Piana. <laughs> He's a god, not a man. Are you a sea? <laughs> are you a sea bum fan? Um, I mean, his physique looks good, but I don't really know too much about him on a personal level. Like, I don't follow a lot of what he does. Mm-hmm. Pizza or burger? Burger. Yeah. Pork ribs or beef ribs? <laughs> uh, those really big beef ones. Yeah. Yeah, I used to not like them, but I'm actually a fan lately. You yeah. made them actually, and I think you were the one that. Turned my decision. Benny turned my decision. Yeah, I was I was never go to beef beef guy, but then yeah, Benny made me get a double beef at Big Roddy's, and I've, I've never gone back. Yeah, you made them. Like I've tried them before, and I thought these a bit shit. And you made them, and they were like, and then wow. you haven't done it since. So <laughs> wow, I get I get the smoker up. soon. He's it ships next week. You've been saying smoker soon. <laughs> I know. <laughs> since, <laughs> since, <laughs> a good since one my I was like, oh, yeah, look, <laughs> two years ago. It's, it's only a year late. <laughs> Stefano's a busy man Just like every bit of gym equipment we buy <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favourite powerlifter? Or um, I think Kung Fu Henny Great answer Yeah Who's your favourite good powerlifter? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean John Hack Who join everyone else at the moment Yeah mad Yeah, yeah. Um, CJ asked this on the last one But most embarrassing gym moment uh, Ooh I don't really know if I have one. 
What yeah. What's your favorite gym moment, but only in like Zero or PTC? My favorite gym moment uh, since being part of Zero. Shit, I don't know. Let me think about that one. In- back? Including back in the PTC days. Ooh. Like that happened within the gym? Yeah. Shit, I don't know. Give me, give me a minute on that one. Let's make that one a slow fire question. <laughs> a slow fire. Go back to it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Actually, not sure. I think it's like as an accumulative, it would have been an, at a time where somebody's hit a lift that was just like their their energy when they've hit that lift was just massive. I think since being part of Zero, it wasn't within the gym. I think my favorite moment that I've had um, that got me fired up the most since I've been part of it was actually, uh, I think it was the December comp. It was at Zero here. One of the uh, people I train, Lauren, she's an absolute weapon. She's actually my training partner for nationals at the moment. I, she's, um, I love her, by the way. Yeah, she's, she's a so legend. Good. Yeah. It, um, the comp came down to she would have won second or she would have gone from fifth to second if she pulled this last deadlift. So like all throughout prep, she was just planning to hit like oh, third. I, I forget the numbers, but I think she was like a third attempt, 200 would be so good. It would be so good, so good, so good. And then coming on the day, we're like, if you pull 207 or 210 or something like that, you'll come second. And then it came down to this deadlift and she was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. I was like, all right, here we go. (laughs) Me thinking, I'm like, I hope she gets it, but I don't think she's going to get it. And then she pulled and pulled and actually locked it out. And I was like, holy shit, my mind just exploded. Unfortunately, she got two red lights for it. But that moment of watching her try and pull this deadlift off the ground, giving her everything she had, that was probably my favorite moment. Um, lifting wise that i've seen since being part mm. of zero or something like that it just heightens it so much like it was down to half a point or something yeah like that. it was like yeah it was like point zero something it was nothing mm. absolutely nothing and she just had to pull it to win but yeah her passion and just like it was just really intense yeah i loved it that's mad i've um i've actually got to train with uh, her a couple times with you yeah she she trains like a maniac as well she trains so hard yeah she's but a savage on top of that she's just an absolute legend yeah no no she's really good i really look forward to tra- uh, getting in more sessions with her when i come down to Southside and train with you guys yeah i'm really excited to see what she can do at both nationals and worlds this year she should do really really well mm. can i ask one more go someone um you look to for uh someone that inspires you in in the industry or even outside of the industry uh, I'd be silly to not say Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. Thank that was going to be an obvious one. <laughs> um, yeah. What about Rich Piano? <laughs> Unfortunately, he died. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> Bro, gods don't. I don't know if you saw the shrine. It's outside. Gods don't, gods don't <laughs> die. Gods don't die. They transcend. The shrine The saying is heroes get remembered. Legends never die. That's the one. Yeah, Jokes it. aside, he actually changed bodybuilding and did quite a good job that sort of thing like he was open and honest with a lot of the stuff he did that not a lot of people have and i think things have changed a lot since he's done it man when i went to columbus arnold's in 2017 there were like fitness pros like full-on top of the line ifbb pro bodybuilders and all the influencers that have maybe like a i don't know 10 to 30 people line his line did you ever go to the Arnold's in Columbus? No, no, no. You know what it's like in, in Australia, you know, mm-hmm. just rows and rows of stalls. His line, the Arnold's is about twice the size, maybe three times the size in America as Australia. His line went around like three rows of stalls. Like yeah. it would have been a two hour wait, maybe even longer to line up to see him. And his line was by far way further than anyone else. Yeah, he really, yeah, he really did change things. Like he was open and honest with everything he did, um, which I think has been like, his was a bit out 
bit wild and out there, but he's made a lot of other people become open and honest with what they're doing. And I think it's quite helpful for mm. a lot of younger lifters um, just to hear the reality and the truth of it rather than jumping on the internet, reading something that's completely wrong and they misinterpret the information and for sure, possibly yeah, go down a bad path. But mm. yeah, so I think he did, yeah, weirdly enough, I think he actually did quite a good thing. All, All right, right, listeners, give a moment of silence for, uh, for Rich Biana. Close us off, CJ. All right. Well, hope you guys enjoyed that discussion as much as we have had having it. Um, yeah, remember to give us five stars on Spotify. If you're watching on YouTube, like this video and subscribe. Hit the bell so you know every time we release a new video. Um, and yeah, see you guys later. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Give us six stars. Oh, oh extra stuff thank you so much for listening to the zero podcast if you want more information head to our instagram zero underscore weakness hit the link in the bio for all of our services and any information on upcoming workshops and events don't forget to leave us a five-star review so we can have a broader reach and answer more people's questions thank you once more